T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome back. Hour number two of Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer with you. Joe Beamer with you for another hour. And we are happy to have you on the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Our next guest is Dr. Tom Russo, Chief of Infectious Disease at the Jacob School of Medicine. Dr. Russo, good morning. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, same to you, Joe. Let me ask you, you know, this kind of took over the news Thanksgiving night uh, and was uh, what we've been talking about for the last three days, this new variant uh, that is uh, being discovered overseas and starting to uh, lock down travel. What should we be looking for and what do we know so far about this variant? Well, unfortunately, we don't know as much as we'd like about this particular variant. And, uh, you know, a, a couple of things I think it's important to note. First, our ability to detect these variants early on is absolutely, you know, a tip of the hat to the technology that's available so that we could quickly assess them, uh, determine, you know, the relative risk that particular variants uh, pose. And if needed, go ahead and try to take precautions. And, you know, something that's already resulted because of this is there's been certain travel restrictions as we're in the process of sorting out the variant. But what we'd really like to know about this variant, and we really don't know for sure, it, for sure is two things. One, is it more transmissible than earlier variants? Is it more transmissible than the Delta variant, can it outcompete the Delta variant? So far, there has not been a variant that's been able to outcompete Delta. Um, There's some concern that that may be this case with this variant based on uh, an increased number of cases seen in South Africa and also based on the analysis of the sequence of the variant where it has some of the mutations that suggest it could be more transmissible. Um, But again, that is a work in progress. We've had other variants out there that raised some concern, but they were not able to outcompete Delta, and so were uh, remain below the radar. The other concern about this particular variant is, is you know, are people uh, going to, uh, is it going to be more resistant to immunity due to either prior infection or vaccination? And right now, that's something that's being assessed in the laboratory. Again, there is a hint from the mutations that were uh, described in the sequence that it probably is going to be more resistant But I think right now the consensus at this point is, though, it may be a little more resistant, particularly if you're fully vaccinated and gotten a booster, you're going to have such a high degree of protection that you're going to have a big enough buffer that that hopefully it'll get it done. 
but we should know a lot more about that over the next, I would say, probably week or so. If, if more transmissible, is there a possibility that it's more transmissible but less severe? Or uh, could more transmissible also be more severe? Is that just, uh, could it go either way? Absolutely. You know, this particular variant has 50 mutations, uh, 30 in the spike protein, 20 elsewhere. So it's possible that it may be more transmissible. It's possible it even may be more resistant to degrees uh, to uh, immunity afforded by vaccination or prior infection, but it doesn't cause a severe disease. And so we're just going to have to, you know, uh, see how this plays out. Um, obviously, we, we all have such pandemic fatigue and we're in the midst of, a, you know, a surge uh, that's being driven by Delta here in Western New York. The last thing we wanted to hear about over the Thanksgiving holiday is there something else out there that, you know, may uh, cause, uh, you know, a prolongation of this pandemic. But I think, you know, we just need to take a breath, let the scientific process and the evaluation of this variant uh, 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 be sorted out uh, and you know, once we get that information, I think we'll have a better sense of where we're at. Um, you know, the other thing, Joe, before we sort of get off the variant, it's important to note, the RNA vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna, are based on the code of the virus. And so the way these vaccines work is that you, uh, you identify the sequence, you then manufacture that sequence, and that then gets uh, translated into the spike protein we make antibodies. Worst case scenario, if you know, this variant or some other variant, uh, you know, is so different that it's able to elude vaccine-induced immunity, in a relatively short period of time, uh, we'll, we could go ahead, we could change that code so it's directed towards that variant, and then we can make effective antibodies against it. Uh, and so that is the great advantage of this RNA technology. It will take a little bit of time, probably, uh, they're making, you know, adjustments right now, or if need be, based on the sequence of this variant. It may take as many as, uh, you know, up to 100 days to get those vaccines manufactured in shots and arms. But, you know, we still have options, worst case scenario, and I think that's particularly reassuring. You mentioned that we've had other variants that, you know, Delta has still been the dominant one. How many other variants since Delta have we seen but not seen as dominant as Delta? All of them. It's been, you know, it's hard to keep track right now, but we're in double figures. Uh, and there's a couple, the, the, the beta uh, and uh, the uh, gamma and the mu variants, all are more resistant, actually, to natural uh, immunity or immunity uh, from prior infection and our vaccination. But they weren't able to outcompete Delta. So they sort of, you know, uh, kind of came and, and went at this point. Um, you know, so we'll have to see what happens with uh, the Omnicom, the new variant, uh, in terms of which category it's going to uh, uh, fall into. Now, we, we, we've been talking about this Merck and Pfizer pill, Dr. Russo, I, I think for the last two months, and uh, we're seeing that it, the FDA said that it is effective. Would that still be effective against different variants? Is a pill different than a vaccine? Yes, absolutely. The pills would be predict, uh, predicted to be active against all the variants, because they act uh, in certain uh, proteins that are uh, used by the virus as part of the replicative process as they infect an individual. So the uh, Merck product affects uh, a polymerase, which helps the replication of its code. Um, the Pfizer product affects a viral protease, which is needed to go ahead and develop active proteins. Uh, and so um, these variants that are evolving 
would all have uh, similar polymerases and proteases, and so it was predicted that these pills should get it done against them. So with these pills and the vaccines, do you think we would have, looking at the forecast, if this new variant takes over Delta, uh, with, the, with these pills, with vaccines, do you think we could have less of a surge in hospitalizations with those two things combined? Well, I think the pills are definitely going to help us decrease the number of hospitalizations. And the trick with the pills, though, is, and, and you know, so the uh, data based on treatment within five days of the development of uh, symptoms of COVID uh, with the Merck pill, um, Molnupravir, um, decreases hospitalizations by 50%. Um, Paxlovir, the uh, Pfizer pill, decreases hospitalizations 87%, but you need to start that treatment within three days of the development of symptoms. And with all antiviral therapies, the sooner you treat, the better. So the secret is, I think we're going to have these tools very soon. The FDA is assessing the uh, Merck product, I believe, on the 30th of this month, and the Pfizer, I predict, soon after. I suspect we're going to have these tools in December. But the secret is then people are going to have to, when they develop symptoms, they have to go out quickly. They have to get tested. If they're positive, they have to reach out to the healthcare provider and get the script for it. And then subsequently, that has to be filled by the pharmacy, and you have to start taking it as soon as possible. They're going to help, but there's going to be a few logistical challenges. And, uh, you know, the alacrity in terms of uh, recognizing you may have COVID is going to be really the key. And early on, probably, we're also going to have a little bit of supply issues as they sort of crank up production of these pills as well. They're starting that right now, um, but supply will probably be a whiff on the short side in, in the very beginning. Now, going uh, from the pill to boosters, and we know that push is on to uh, to get boosters, I have a couple questions. My first one is, um, I, I talked to someone on Thursday after the turkey trot who said they initially got two Pfizer shots and then a Moderna shot. Is that something that you would recommend or something that you would kind of say, hey, stay with what you originally got when it comes to boosters? I don't really think it makes any difference in terms of if you receive the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine, whether you stick with the same or whether you cross over and, and get the other product. Uh, I think both of them are going to give you a great antibody response. And, you know, for people out there, I think it's important for them to appreciate that boosters are extraordinarily important for everyone that's eligible. And if you take them, the degree of immunity that you had after your first two shots, and then compare it to the maximum degree of immunity you have after the booster. For most people, you'll have at least a tenfold greater degree of protection. So the boosters really ramp things up. Uh, and so I can't strongly recommend enough the importance of getting boosters. As we know, the first two shots, uh, there was a little bit of a waning in immunity after four to six months. And this had some consequences for our most vulnerable seniors and some of our individuals with underlying diseases and are not an optimal uh, immune status. And so uh, boosters is important both for, to a degree, decreasing hospitalizations a little bit, not as much as it would get the unvaccinated vaccinated, but it will help a little bit for those at highest risk, but also for younger, healthy people that are less likely to land in hospital by getting a booster, you're less likely then to get infected and transmit that infection to others that are at higher risk. And so uh, it's going to be important for both personal health and the health of our community overall, really to try to stem this tide of this wave right now, which is uh, really, we're not in a great shape here right now in Western New York, the direction we've been going. 
Is there anyone given a situation, say you had COVID after being uh, fully vaccinated, is there anyone that you would say doesn't necessarily need the booster right now? Um, I think that the one category that we're not, there's sort of two categories we're not certain. Right now, by the way, for for, uh, children under 18, there's no recommendations for boosters. That's something that's being sorted out because there's some uh, children in that 12 to 17 year old age group now that are, uh, you know, getting uh, six months out. Uh, right now, we don't think a booster would be beneficial, but that's being assessed, and there may be some guidance on that in the near future. The other category I think that we're not quite as certain of uh, is individuals that had both their two shots and subsequently got infected. That subsequent infection may serve as a booster. Um, but having said that, we don't really have a commercial test that's available. There's absolutely predicted degree of immunity that you have after infection. So therefore, I think really the safest course of action is to go ahead, get the booster. There's really no down in getting the booster in terms of safety signals or adverse effects. Uh, and that way, you'll really develop max protection. And, you know, that could be particularly important as we're learning about, you know, the new Omicron variant or others that may yet to come. You know, I think all of us would like to be out there having max protection, right? And so that way we'll minimize uh, any doubt in terms of where we stand and minimize the chances of developing COVID. This is a question from the Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board. Someone just wanted to kind of uh, uh, say what you just said, but a little clarification. So right now there is not a way to test your absolute immunity um, after a vaccine when it comes to COVID? That's correct. You can get anybody tests out there to determine whether you had prior infection or not. The vaccine, you develop antibodies directed towards the spike protein, but the other parts of the virus that you would not develop antibodies to, and we could test for that, and if you have positive antibodies to non-spike protein components, that then demonstrates that you were previously infected. But what we do know is something called neutralizing antibodies, antibodies that when they're active, the virus, take it out, prevent it from interacting with your cells, uh, protect you from developing infection. Neutralizing antibodies could only right now be measured in research laboratories. We don't have a commercial test for that as of this time. We are getting a sense, depending on how high those neutralizing antibodies are, the degree of your protection. Um, but right now, we just can't do that test commercially. Uh, hopefully, it will become available at some point, and then an individual could assess with their relative degree of protection and whether we'll get it done against the uh, circulating strain in the community or not. Now, as people go to get their boosters, you know, I, I and this is not to scare anyone away, but after I got my second Moderna shot, you know, the next day I'm kind of feeling lethargic, a little tired. Uh, after my wife got her booster a few weeks ago, she was, you know, down for the count the day after. Is there any way to, you know, any way you would suggest to deal and maybe let lessen those effects the day after your booster shot? Yeah, as a general rule, what we've been seeing with the boosters, Joe, is you tend to get the same sort of post-shot uh, symptoms as you got with your second shot. Not, you know, that, you know, everyone's a little bit different. And, you know, some people that after their second shot and after boosters are getting a day's worth of flu-like symptoms. You know, they might have a low-grade fever, muscle aches, headache, kind of feel tired and wiped out. It's sort of a, a couch day with the clicker or a good book. Um, uh, those symptoms usually resolve within 24 hours, occasionally a whiff longer. 
And if they're really, um, you know, you're really feeling down and out, taking uh, some Tylenol, acetaminophen would be absolutely fine, or even um, some non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. We don't think it would really blunt the protective response that's developing. So it's fine to go ahead and take those meds to uh, feel better. You know, for those people out there that says, oh, my gosh, I don't want to get a booster and feel sick like that for a day, and you should probably time that just in case you've got something important the next day after your sh- after the shot, you know, like, going to work or an important event or something like that. Um, but remember, keep in mind that worst-case scenario, maybe a day of flu-like symptoms is a very, very small price to pay from getting COVID, which obviously can make you much, much more critically ill and actually result in hospitalizations and bad outcomes in an unpredictable fashion. Uh, so please don't let those reactogenic symptoms dissuade you from getting the booster, which is going to be obviously beneficial for you and your family and our community at large. Is Does that mean anything? When you get ill after a, a, a shot, does that signal anything, or is it really just how your body's re- reacting to the, um, to the vaccine? Yeah, it's how your body is reacting to the vaccine. So, you know, early on we sort of thought, ah, well, if you had those reactogenic symptoms, you're getting really a great immune response. As it turns out, the immune response is similar whether you have symptoms or not. And so, <laughs> unfortunately, you know, having those symptoms uh, doesn't result in a, a, a return of a greater immune response than someone like me that's had three shots and I had very little, maybe a little fatigue after my third shot, at least on a population basis. You know, everyone's immune response would be predicted to be similar. Why some people get those uh, reactogenic symptoms and others don't, this isn't completely clear, but it tends, they tend to be greater with Moderna versus Pfizer. They tend to be greater in women versus men, and they tend to be greater the younger you are. Dr. Russo, another question from the Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board. Uh, someone wants to know, these, you know, we're seeing hospitalizations, 40% right now in Erie County, of vaccinated individuals. Are these individuals that haven't gotten their boosters yet, is this a result of variance why we are seeing vaccinated people in the hospital? Yeah, good question. So, all of the cases that are seem to be circulating right now in Erie County seem to be Delta. And obviously we're looking at this and you know, there's a little lag in terms of our data, but it's almost all, certainly all Delta. Most of the people that are, quote, fully vaccinated uh, have had only two shots in their arms. And it's, that's why the boosters are so important, because if you're a senior, if you have significant underlying diseases, which includes significant obesity, if you're immunocompromised based on some underlying disease, like certain cancers, um, transplant individuals on certain uh, drugs that tamp down your uh, immune response, you know, you might not have had an optimal response to vaccination, and that's how you land in hospital. The good news is, of course, that even if you land in hospital when fully vaccinated, you're much more likely to get out of hospital than those individuals that have not been vaccinated. And the other thing in that 40% number, one should look at that, oh, my gosh, our vaccines aren't working very well. Look at that. 40% of people are in hospital. The vaccines are extraordinarily protective. The likelihood, you know, if you're unvaccinated, landing in hospital is uh, almost tenfold greater than if you are vaccinated. And the likelihood of a bad outcome uh, is 13 or 14-fold greater. But that 40% number then becomes a little deceiving because our vaccines are not perfect, that immunity is waning, boosters are critical to protect that 
that sort of uh, uh, most susceptible or vulnerable group from landing in hospital. But as we get more and more people vaccinated, the proportion of people that get infections or land in hospital is going to increase. And it's sort of a math issue, Joe. But let me take an extreme so people could understand it, perhaps. Um, if everyone was vaccinated, then all of our infections and hospitalizations would be in the fully vaccinated. So as that proportion of vaccinated individuals increases in the community, so does the proportion, um, since our vaccines are not perfect, of infections and those hospitalizations will increase to a degree as well. But just to be clear, that number is no indication that our vaccines are not getting done. They afford significant protection against infection, hospitalizations, and bad outcome. And it will be significantly augmented with getting those boosters. Most people fully vaccinated now have gotten just one J&J or two of the Pfizer or Moderna vaccines. And boosters is going to significantly help and, and tamp that number down. Uh, another texter on the Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board wants to know, Dr. Russo, they are fully vaccinated. They had COVID. How long after recovering from COVID should they wait to go get that booster? So you should wait no longer than 90 days. But I generally recommend that once you're symptom-free and fully recovered from COVID, then you would that would be the good timing to go ahead and either complete your vaccination series if you've only gotten one shot or go ahead and get that booster shot. Now, Dr. Russo, we, we're back under a mask mandate here in Erie County, and I've, I've said this all along, and I know I've talked to you about this. The messaging from political figures um, it seems to be confusing, seems to you know get everyone frustrated. Do you think a mask mandate, a situational mask mandate, would be more helpful? Uh, because you see people going to restaurants and wearing a mask and then going to the bar or the table and taking them off. But if you go to a grocery store, you have it on the entire time. Do you think something like that, for two reasons, would be more helpful and might take away that doubt that so many people uh, seem to have? Well, the mask mandate is going to help tamp down the number of cases and the surge that we're presently experiencing. And we really need to get on top of this. Hospitals are filling up. Uh, we're starting to run out of beds. Obviously, we've got individuals that are getting seriously ill and having bad outcomes, which potentially could have been prevented if they were uh, vaccinated. And so we need to go ahead and obviously continue to try to vaccinate the unvaccinated, get those booster shots in arms. But while waiting for that, reinstituting mask use is sort of the little Dutch boy measure that's the bridge for individuals to uh, be while they're waiting for their booster or to get uh, uh, vaccinated for the first time to minimize the chances of them getting infected. Now, mask use is going to be much more effective in venues where people could keep their masks on at all times, such as Wegmans or other retail clothing stores, etc. And before this mandate, mask mandate, remember, if you were not vac fully vaccinated, you were supposed to wear a mask. But I think we could all agree that probably very few individuals were wearing masks in that indoor setting. So the mask mandate sort of serves as the mask police. Um, that way, if everyone is supposed to wear a mask, you don't have to worry about who is vaccinated and unvaccinated, because obviously the unvaccinated pose the greatest risk in that setting. Now, the bar and restaurant situation, Joe, is interesting because, yes, the mask mandate there is really uh, not that uh, effective, right, because you're going to be eating and drinking most of the time. And so you're going to be in an indoor setting that may not be optimally ventilated and masks are down. I kind of like the idea in that setting of uh, instead of a mask mandate, maybe, you know, have a, a vaccine mandate. And that's something that may be the next stage. 
Um, but, um, you know, people obviously are not excited about that concept. They feel that's discriminatory. But from an infectious disease public health point of view, if there's going to be a setting where masks are going to be down, it's obviously safer if people are fully vaccinated. And nowadays, even though the formal definition of fully vaccinated is one J&J shot or, or two Pfizer or Moderna shots, I really feel in my mind, because we know that immunity uh, is waning four to six months out, if you're eligible for a booster, um, then getting that booster, in my mind, really, uh, you know, completes the definition of being fully vaccinated. Uh, you know, the J&J, a uh, couple of months out, uh, protection against infection in some studies is low as 13 percent. And even Pfizer and Moderna are, are circulating around 50 percent. Uh, so getting those boosters really puts uh, um, the true meaning into being fully vaccinated again and gets the degrees of protection back up into the mid-90s where we were in the beginning of this pandemic when everyone was initially vaccinated. Dr. Russo, I have two more questions for you. My first one comes from our producer, Josh, and he says, is this something we're going to have to just put up with every November and December uh, as this seems to be more and more of a seasonal thing? Or do you re- do you think that at one point we will be out of this where, you know, every other week we have to hear of a phase system or mandates back in place? Do you, do you see the end of this or is this going to become more of a, hey, every November we might have to take these measures uh, to slow down the hospitalizations? I think, uh, assuming a variant doesn't arise that really completely eludes uh, a vaccine-induced uh, immunity, that uh, as we get into the early part of 2022, we're going to really settle into endemic mode, uh, where most of the people uh, in, in this country uh, in the U.S. Uh, will have some degree of protection uh, against uh, COVID. Um, there still will be, like, influenza, serious diseases in the most vulnerable individuals, and we're probably going to need boosters and certain time interval yet to be determined. I think we're going to get at least a year out of the present booster, whether it's more than that, I'm not sure. But I, I, I look at it as COVID is probably going to evolve into somewhat like influenza. It's going to be much more seasonal respiratory virus. We're going to have peaks uh, in the cool weather months uh, when people shift indoors. And those people that are at greatest risk for hospitalizations and bad outcome, we want to make sure that they have optimal immunity, which is probably going to involve, you know, some sort of uh, periodic uh, booster shots as we move forward. Um, But what we're experiencing now with these intermittent large waves, with large numbers of hospitalizations and large numbers of bad outcomes, um, the pandemic mode, which is mostly now in the unvaccinated, the, uh, you know, the fully vaccinated are, are relatively spared, particularly if you've gotten that booster shot. That phase, that pandemic is going to end. I think we're going to see the end in this country sometime in 2022. And then we're going to, the virus is not going to go away and we're going to settle into this endemic mode. Sort of thinking about it like as the influenza model, there were virus that is at this point appears to be more lethal than influenza. So we still want to stay in our game and protect those individuals at greatest risk. And the final question, Dr. Russo, from a medical perspective, obviously, uh, I'm, I know you don't want this to happen, but from a medical perspective, do you see Erie County getting to that phase three, the 50% capacity, or even phase four, where we would see shutdowns again um, with the way things are going? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's hard to say. I, I think phase four, and I hope phase four uh, is not the going to come to fruition. Uh, however, um, we've really had a bad run over the last couple of weeks, and, and hospitalizations are increasing at a very high rate. 
Uh, and so I, I think this is the moment if we want to avoid those scenarios that all of us could agree that no one is really interested in going back uh, in that direction, uh, that hopefully we can hold the line with the combination of judicious mass use and getting more people vaccinated and getting more booster shots in arms and people if they're sick staying home and not interacting with other individuals um, and minimizing risky behavior. You know, we just we just got through Thanksgiving and, you know, what impact we're going to see in an increased number of infections from Thanksgiving won't be realized until sort of the end of next week and the, be- you know, the beginning of the week after that. And then we have the religious holidays coming up in New Year's, right? So um, there's no question that things could continue to get worse before they get better unless we really start to take this seriously. You know, I know a lot of people have been sort of behaving like where the pandemic is over, and unfortunately that is not the case. Uh, I think this is sort of the last gasp of, of the pandemic phase of this virus over the next couple of months. But it's going to do some significant damage if we take it lightly. I know we want to be done with it, but this virus is not yet done with us. And so we just have to hunker down for a little bit more. And 2022, I think, is going to be a much better year. Dr. Tom Russo, I know I speak for all of Western New York when I say thank you for always being a phone call away. And I know we'll talk soon. Yeah, always a pleasure to be with you. You Take care, Joe. That is Dr. Tom Russo, Chief of Infectious Disease at the Jacobs School of Medicine. When we come back, uh, Susan Rose spoke with Corey Hogan from Hogan Willick. We will replay that interview. It is Hardline, very late for a break here on WBEN. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome back. It is Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. I want to thank State Senator Rob Ort and Dr. Tom Russo from the Jacobs School of Medicine for joining me this morning. On Wednesday, Susan Rose spoke with attorney Corey Hogan about the upcoming lawsuits that you have now seen disclaimers about around Western New York. Here is that interview. It's Hardline. Attorney Corey Hogan from Hogan Willig is joining me live this morning. Uh, Corey, we've got a lot to get to. I want to ask you about the backlash and the response you're getting to the mask mandate. But first, I'd like your reaction to the story this morning of Assemblyman Pat Burke, who is proposing to allow insurance providers to deny coverage for COVID-related treatment for those who are unvaccinated. What's your view on that? It's uh, Unfortunately, it's, it's what people are doing is, is, is playing this blame game and uh, going after people that they feel are responsible for whatever the, the, the concern is right now, and that's the, the, the so-called Delta variant and the spread of the, uh, of the COVID-19 virus. Um, 
I think there's a pretty good recognition right now that uh, many, probably about half of the people that are coming down with the virus have been vaccinated. So to go out there now and say that, uh, well, I'm not going to get coverage for people that are vaccinated, even though it's not working all that effectively, is okay. But for those that choose not to, we're not going to provide them with medical care. That seems a little over the top. It would be kind of uh, hard to understand if somebody came to the hospital and they were in a serious condition. And most of these people, 80%, are over the age of 60. And you're going to say, we're not going to treat you or we're not going to provide uh, medical care without uh, coverage or we're just, you're going to have to pay the bill. Seems short-sighted. It also seems like we're, we're continuing to blame one another for something that is not anybody's fault. And I'm wondering, too, it kind of opens a Pandora's box, right? I mean, there are other behaviors that can lead to health problems. Smoke. Obesity, smoking, drinking. I mean, I could go on, right? Yep. yep. Could, could they be denied one day, too? Uh, well, that would be an issue. I guess that would be, I suppose, a constitutional issue, whether you can do something like that, you know, segment a class like that, and then say we're not going to provide coverage. Probably could in many areas, but that wouldn't be something that would be uh, very nice for a society to be behaving that way. Do you think that that could be challenged it if it went through? Yes, absolutely could be. And uh, I, whether it's under the public health law, the insurance law, I don't know. I haven't looked at that. I didn't even hear about it until you just mentioned it, Susan. But uh, I'm not surprised that people are taking this approach. When things get a little tense, people have a tendency to try to you know, throw the blame at somebody and come up with a solution that they think is going to be effective. That is not Even if it gets more people vaccinated, the reality is right now in Erie County, we have about 80% of the population vaccinated. And the people that are going into the hospital, again, are 80% of them. The people that are dying are over 60. And the people that are dying that are over 60 have two or three or four health conditions. It's not the kind of thing where we're going to be able to defeat it. It's not going to happen. If you look at the map of the country right now, the states that have less of a problem right now are the states that before had lower vaccination rates. It's the, all the states where there's very high vaccination rates that are having problems because the vaccination was never intended to prevent infection or prevent transmissibility. That was not the approval that was given. People are led to believe that when they call it a vaccine, but it doesn't work that way. And so right now people are not only, unfortunately, getting infected and transmitting it with vaccinations, but the symptoms are also more severe than, that's what the one thing the vaccine was supposed to do, was reduce the symptoms of the COVID-19 virus. So at a point right now where they're running around blaming people again, the state and the county, for whatever reason, are not telling us where the source of the spread is coming from. They gave us that information last year for September and October and November. Uh, Governor Cuomo did in his press conference back in December, and he said, here's where it's coming from, and 75% was coming from the households, 1.4% from restaurants, less than a percent from health salons, same with gyms. This idea that somehow shutting, not shutting down, but at least requiring face masks that aren't all that effective to begin with in various establishments that are not responsible for the transmission is, again, a blame game because people feel they have to do something. But you should do something that actually is honest and effective. This will not do anything other than hurt these individual entities that are not responsible for the spread. It's really coming from homes, and it would be up to the county and the state to tell us that, why they haven't. We've been trying for a year to get that contact tracing data. 
We're not asking for names or addresses or anything. Just where is it from? Where is are the spread coming from? They take that information. They're still taking it. They won't share it. We're in court now trying to uh, get the, uh, the the county and the state of New York to release it. Why they won't makes no sense to me. It's, it seems very, very wrong to not tell the population where the virus is being transmitted. It's probably the same. It's probably homes again, which is about 75%, and the rest of it is spread out over the rest of society, over every other institution, generally in the 1% or 2%. It's not coming from the schools. It's not coming from gyms or health clubs or movie theaters or restaurants or hair salons. That's not where it's coming from. Those are in the 1%, 2% range. So what they're doing now isn't going to work, and it's not fair. Hey, I've got to ask, what kind of response has your office been getting to the mask mandate? And is there a particular type of business that you're hearing mainly from? Mainly from restaurants, because this is their busiest time of the year. This was just dropped on them out of nowhere. Most of these owners had stacked up on supplies. I think today is probably one of the busiest days of their year. Uh, they had ordered food, perishable, things of that nature. And now they're being told almost a year after they did it the last time that there's going to be further restrictions on their business. They're, so we, we, yeah, we've heard from hundreds of businesses, but also people that, for example, a, a man called me yesterday, his, his daughter's planning on getting married in two weeks. It's a different event when everybody at the wedding is wearing a mask, especially when it won't benefit anybody. He is sick in terms of what he's going to do. Thousands of brides have set up, or grooms as well, of course, have set up weddings for this time of the year because they've been postponed for a couple of years. And now dropping this on them changes the event, and it doesn't help anybody. If it made a difference, people would be more compliant and understand it. But it doesn't help. That's not where the problem is. The problem is when people go home, they're in closed spaces, they're with each other for hours upon hours. That's where it spreads. It doesn't spread outdoors, and it doesn't spread in well-ventilated restaurants or gyms or churches or banquet halls. That's not where it works. And the face mask, if you look at people and you see the face mask um, and you see uh, all the holes on the side and the top, the, vi- the virus is so small, it's one one-thousandth the size of the difference between the different threads in most face masks. So they don't work. Most studies say about 10% is the effective rate of most of the masks. So again, we're blaming people that are not at fault, and we're coming up with a remedy that doesn't work, even if it was at those locations. We're talking live with Corey Hogan from Hogan Willick. Uh, One part of the mask mandate from the Erie County uh, executive says that any business who voluntarily implements a 100% COVID vaccination requirement for entry into their facility shall be exempt from the masking requirements herein. And we're starting to see some businesses that say they're not going to check for masks. They're going to only allow vaccinated patrons inside. Sure. But this seems to contradict what the CDC is saying right now, which is that vaccinated people are getting and spreading the virus, right? It contradicts the order of Gail Bernstein and Mark Polenkars. The third whereas clause said that fully vaccinated individuals infected with the Delta variant uh, of COVID-19 after vaccination are contagious and are able to spread the virus to others. It's right in the same document that then says, well, if you only let vaccinated people in, you don't have to comply. It makes no sense. 
Why would they're, 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 the, the document that they prepared recognizes that? And that's the problem right now. I think the good news is, and there are some good news, is that we've got about 920,000 people in Erie County. Half of them have already had natural immunity. That's the only one that actually works. Um, the, 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 it's, there's no claim by Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson that their vaccines prevent infection or transmission. They can't because that's how it was approved by the FDA. And what's taking place is we've got half the people that have natural immunity and probably of the other half, when people get this, yeah, 30 to 40 percent are asymptomatic. So we still have to get through the rest of the people. And there's nothing wrong with being smart and safe and doing things like that. But that's the only thing that's going to work. Otherwise, people will be taking boosters forever or until they develop a vaccine that actually prevents infection and transmission. It, it doesn't work. Just real quickly, the, the, the vaccine is worth, works against one spike protein. There are about 19 or 23 other antigens that natural immunity also picks up on. That's why it works. And the, when they did studies in Israel and the Cleveland Clinic, it was clear that natural immunity is highly, highly effective. Right. On fighting mask mandates from a you know, legal standpoint, because we're 20 months in and there are vaccines that are widely available and soon antiviral treatments will be available, does that change the nature of the emergency here? and offer a little more leverage in a lawsuit? Well, I think the argument is, is that we've done what we've been asked to do for the last 20 months. The vaccines have been available for a year, and we're in no better position than we were when we started it. The, by the way, the deaths are the same. There's no more deaths taking place now than there were throughout the year. Uh, the hospitalization rate that the governor the county executive is talking about, there's about 2,800 beds in Erie County. Five to ten percent are occupied by COVID patients. It's not a disaster. There's no emergency that exists. Sure, there are people have been arguing there have been treatments for uh, COVID-19 from the beginning, whether it's ivermectin or some of these other types of uh, antiviral drugs. There's a pill now that I guess Pfizer's developed. Maybe that's going to be effective. Hopefully it is. But you're right. There are other alternatives other than shutting down our society. People are starting to wise up and realize that these things that have been promoted by the government, uh, they're misleading and they're not effective. Most people think a vaccine protects, protects them from getting the virus. It doesn't. And they were never told that. Now they're finding out the hard way. They're seeing what's taking place. Corey, thank you for the time this morning. My pleasure, Susan. Happy Thanksgiving. Same to you. That's Corey Hogan from Hogan Willig. That was attorney Corey Hogan. I know we will be hearing much, much more throughout the week on how that progresses. I want to thank State Senator Rob Ort and Dr. Tom Russo for joining me this morning. We will be back here starting at 5 o'clock with a new morning with Susan Rose and Brian Mazarowski, B-Maz and Beamer, David Bellavia, 10 to 2, Joe Beamer, myself, in for Tom Bowerly, 2 to 6, and Buffalo's Evening News with Tom Puckett. Have a great Sunday afternoon. We'll see you tomorrow here on WBEN. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 
Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.